0: Welcome to CoinGeek Conversations, coming to you today from London and New York, where my guest is the co-founder and CEO of ComputeNOR, whose mission, according to its website, is powering digital asset creation. So welcome, Dave Parrell.
1: Charles, thanks for having me. Glad to be here.
0: You're listening to CoinGeek Conversations with Charles Miller. Tell me a little bit about uh, Compute North. What is your business?
1: Yeah, we focus on what we call tier zero computing. Um, In essence, we build, develop and operate large scale infrastructure uh, for non-mission critical, highly computationally intensive applications, which are things like miners. So cryptocurrency miners, folks that are looking to really scale up their operations, we're the backside that helps build up those sites and make them operate very effectively and efficiently.
0: Would it be fair to say that, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of the parallel in the gold rush days where it was the people who made the shovels who were always said to make the money.
1: <laughs> Are you in the shovel business? <laughs> We, we, we've had that analogy more than once of kind of the, the Levi's conversation. Um, and yeah, yes, indeed. I mean, that's certainly an element that we see. I think we do see a, a greater trend in that we think, you know, uh, what's going on in Bitcoin, what's going on with proof of work, being one of the first applications that we think is driving of what we call this this tier zero mentality. And that today's data centers, while well, they're, they're they're fantastic and they're amazing and they, they work great, they're simply overbuilt for a a lot of applications that don't need that level of redundancy and that re, re, level of uh, you know what's what's called uptime in the in the uh, the data center circles. So we think uh, you know cryptocurrency can really lead the way to provide other things like machine learning, graphic rendering, HPC, things that you know don't need to be there in near real time like you know e-commerce or, or Zoom for example.
0: Right. It's interesting that you see it as a, an advantage that you're in the non mission critical part of this business i mean there are there are opportunities uh in not having to provide backups in in the kind of way that uh, those mission critical applications would require i suppose
1: yeah, it opens up a lot of really interesting dialogues on the energy stand front. Um, and if you know mining, you know mining is really um, the, the the source of the energy. The economics of the energy are really crucial to how you operate and, candidly, how you ultimately make money doing what you do. And if you think about Our loads, the way that we look at it, are very different from a traditional data center operator in really four key ways. Um, The first is that they're extremely large. The second is that they can be located almost near anywhere, which is a a huge advantage to take advantage of, you know, stranded power assets, you know, substations, you know, areas where other people couldn't reach or there might not be transmission. The load factor is really high, meaning that it doesn't go up and down and doesn't change much. Then last but not least, it's interruptible, and you, know, you can be curtailed. Uh, and that is a huge option and a huge value to the, the energy construct, to energy providers, to, you know, grid operators. And so being able to position in, in, in such a way really opens up some really intriguing opportunities. And again, I think this is leading the way for a lot of these other applications.
0: So when you say it can be interrupted, do you mean that, you know, when the sun's not shining or the wind's not blowing or something, it doesn't matter too much so that you can take advantage of uh, energy provision that wouldn't be suitable for for other customers.
1: Yeah, it could be in the, in the circumstance where you you know do global workload migrations, right? Where in essence, um, I'll use the United States for example. You know, Texas is a is a difficult and expensive place to run in the, in the summer months. On the flip side, in the northern plains like North Dakota are you know very very cheap and cost effective. In the winter months, that that reverses. You know, it, it's a lot of people are running their heaters in the in the northern plains. It's very, you know, the the grid is really maximized. Texas is a very cost effective uh, market at that point in time. So that would be like an example of you know being able to do it at scale across like uh, months. But there's also you know grid operations where there might be an emergency event. They might lose one of the, the the plants, might go down. There might be some sort of grid operations, and being able to you know interrupt and and stop that load at a moment's notice and either pick it up you know, hours or days later and continue that workload or migrate it to another facility, we think are really the the, the way that this goes.
0: So are you, I mean, I don't really know much about this sector, but I imagine with something like Amazon Web Services, if I'm a customer of Amazon Web Services, I'd take no interest in where the data center is that is providing the service that I'm buying. Is that like your business where I will just come to you and say, I want to be able to do this? And then you will handle that for me. Or is it that I buy the equipment in a particular place and then you set it up, but I own the equipment or rent the equipment in that particular place and set up my business there?
1: Yeah, the bulk of our business model today is the co-location model. So in essence, it's the customer's gear, the customer's equipment. We build out all the infrastructure, everything needed to run it. Uh, But it's their underlying gear and and they run it. Um, In AWS, for example, it's much more of a a as-a-service, right? Amazon provides all the computers, provides all the infrastructure. Everything is really included within that. I do see our business model progressing to that in certain circumstances. Mining to date, though, you know, the the, the hardware is still at its infancy. The supply chain is still at its infancy. A lot of these, you know, our customers have different unique uh, purchase arrangements. And sometimes that can be kind of a key part of their uh, defensible position or competitive advantage. And so I, I don't see that's going to be changing overnight, but I do think it will shift over time. I think one thing to point out, Charles, you know, the big difference between the AWSs of the world and what we do is that those data centers will not only be built to be very high uptime, they also want to be very close to their end user so for example like in a situation like a like a netflix for example there's a lot of latency type of issues that need, they need to be concerned about and obviously uptime is also key and core to that so they're very much limited you know geographically where they can locate and where they can ultimately sit now, you know fiber accessibility those kind of things candidly our our world is completely different most of our customers don't care where this compute happens they care about the economics and they care about the overall availability and, and uptime, but it's not to the same threshold as traditional data centers.
0: Now, we're talking with you at the CoinGeek conference in New York, which is uh, obviously very much oriented towards Bitcoin SV. What is your interest in Bitcoin SV? Is it just one of many well, we don't even call it a cryptocurrency, but many players in this sector (laughs) that you deal with? Or do you see something unique about Bitcoin SV that is interesting to you?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, Bitcoin SV, like, you know, a lot of the other just overall innovation going on in the market is fantastic. You know, from, from my standpoint, my, my parallel is, you know, my first business was an internet service provider started in the, uh, the, the mid nineties. And so I grew up kind of through the, the dot com. I saw, you know, the internet as a platform really mature and just the, the magnitude of adoption, the magnitude of innovation that occurred on it. And I, I just feel like we are so in the early innings here in, in, in blockchain and crypto and distributed, you know, uh, you know, uh, proof of work and all these types of uh, approaches. You know, as we look at it, I do think that as far as like consensus algorithms, I think proof of work is the only one that's got, you know, 13 years of track record. and It's got history. And to me, it's a standard. And my my lessons learned on standards is something's got to be over 10 times better. Before it can start to displace that just due to the network effects. And I think it's great that there's a lot of innovation. There's people pushing the boundaries on different types of approaches. But our view is that proof of work is not going anywhere. It's going to continue to be here for a long time. It's going to continue to be innovated upon. You know, the UI, the UX is starting to improve. There's real use applications going on in these systems. And that's going to continue to evolve and just you know progress over time. And that's why it's an exciting industry. New York's an exciting place to be here. Uh, it's great to see people again. You know, just the collaboration and, and everyone getting together. And uh, again, I'll just, I'll restate it. I think we're in the the, the second inning of a, a what's going to be a nine inning or more ball game. Of
0: course, the other side of proof of work is the huge amount of energy consumed. And there's increasing concern about that from an environmental point of view. How do you see that debate developing in future?
1: Yeah, I think that's, I mean, a couple of comments to that question. The the first of all being that I I do feel that the energy argument is somewhat of the lazy argument. And what I mean by that is a lot of the folks that that I've had contacts with or or discussions with in the past that have, you know, first thing they do is attack the, the energy usage of Bitcoin. Or that, or any of these, you know, proof of work consensus uh, networks. They don't believe there's any value in the network. They don't understand it. They don't really get the the underlying value of, of whether it be cryptocurrencies or just the the overall, you know, technology itself. Um, those that get it understand that there's a a value to the energy you know i could use the same thing for you know the the analogy to me would be facebook i i think facebook is very destructive (laughs) i don't think it's good for overall society i think it creates a lot of problems it also uses a lot of energy but it's for markets to decide that not anything for for policymakers. and i think you know you know bitcoin and this entire ecosystem will follow that path the other piece of this though is that the the network by itself People are really, especially miners are incentivized to go to the lowest cost energy. If you look at this, you know, the end of the end of the day, all these networks are intended to be fungible. It's a global competitive network. It's, it's, you know, again, done at a global scale. And so driving to that lowest cost is, is really, really important to ride not just the highs, but the lows. And obviously these prices will over time converge. Renewable energy is also the most cost effective. And so I'm, we're, we're also seeing you know, a lot of our customers start to make a push for ESG, not just because it's the right thing to do and the right thing for the narrative of the industry, but also because economically it makes most sense. I do think you know, some of the things that we talked about, like with the tier zero computing angle, really fits well with that. And you pointed this out earlier, Charles. I mean, if you think about most renewable sources, they're intermittent and they're distributed. Well, what does that sound like with tier zero computing? Same kind of deal, right? lots of locations distributed you know very much uh, amongst wherever the power sources might be and they're in a minute and that they can turn it on and off and so I think matching these two is going to become more and more of, of the future I do think base load isn't going anywhere I think nuclear is going to be a part of the equation but we're going to continue to see this this you know I think continue push on on the green angle I think that's good for everyone
0: it's interesting that within the BSV community there are there's some agreement with the critics from the environmental movement, because they would say that if your cryptocurrency, i.e. BTC, is purely there as a speculative asset, that really is a waste of energy if people are just spending energy hoping that the value of their Bitcoin is going to go up. Whereas There's a distinction with BSV where there are all sorts of new businesses and new applications all in different industries, which actually will justify the energy and possibly even replace energy that is being used elsewhere. So it's not a simple defense of the entire sector necessarily by people who are building on BSV. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a fair point. Um, you know, I, I think the counter argument to that is that people would say it, it, it's not speculative. It's a store of value, right? And they're using it as such. And anyone <laughs> that's tried to do international transactions and try to do it cost effectively can learn very quickly some, some of the value that, that underlies that. And, you know, I think, you know, a lot of the genius in the overall system is, is not just the technology, uh, but is really the alignment of incentives to maintain it. And keep trust, and I mean that's some of the things that I just think is so fascinating to see it play out. Like the understanding of not just some of the complex text, you know, the the mathematics, but understanding what makes people tick, what makes people work, what makes markets work, and just how it's continued to grow and scale. And so, you know, like 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 anything, you know, version one's never perfect. And I think again, the innovation and the the progress that we're seeing on a lot of fronts is really exciting.
0: Just going back to your experience uh, with your ISP. Back in, I guess that would be the mid '90s, would it? Yeah, dot com boom days, where everyone you met had an idea for a website that was going to make them <laughs> a millionaire.
1: We were a little ahead of it, so we were we were more the on ramp, and then, then then the the boom, the boom and the buzz came too. So it was right. uh, it was some crazy times. But
0: mixing with the entrepreneurs at the CoinGeek conference, where you are. Do you find some echoes of those days where there's so many people there who have got ideas that are going to be great BSV businesses that will use the blockchain in a way that nobody's ever thought of? Does it bring back those days to you somewhat?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the the thing that people do seem to be focused on some monetization, you know, some of the things that we saw on the dot com. Just the 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 valuations could be. I mean, there was people that were based on like clicks. <laughs> there was like visitor metrics. I mean, just things that really had a complete. You know, I guess it was a proxy for revenue, but it really wasn't right. And 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 standing back in that, like it was, it was just silly. Yeah, I mean, like anything. A lot, a lot of the ideas aren't going to get fruition. They're they're you know they're going to fail. Some people aren't going to be able to see it through. You know, like anything. Uh, There's probably fifty people with the idea. There's only one person that actually. Spends the time, money, effort to sit down and actually execute it, and that's really, you know, kind of the difference that that I see. It, it, you, do you have the grit to really go through both those highs and those lows, which is the, any entrepreneur's journey? That's 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 done it. So, but again, I'll, re, I'll reiterate, it's, it's it's always fun to see. You know, there's always some, there's a few, you know, I I, I squirming moments where you're kind of like, is, is that really going to work? Is does it make <laughs> sense? And asking some questions. But it's just it's just great to see the the energy behind it.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the justification back in the dot-com days for those high valuations was this idea of the land grab, that the internet was some new territory, uh, just like populating the west of the United States almost, um, that if you could get there first, you would uh, be set up for life and for the future of your company. And for some businesses like Amazon, for instance, that actually turned out to be okay. And and the venture capital that was put into The businesses that succeeded would say that that argument actually made sense. And I I don't know, we we haven't quite got to the stage in the the BSV world of entrepreneurship where people are throwing money at entrepreneurs with the idea of the, the land grab because we've got to get there first. But maybe we'll get to that.
1: Yeah, when I say it's, it's 94, what am, I mean it was pre.com and, you know, going back to to the 94 days like email addresses were kind of esoteric. It was kind of a unique thing, you know, really you had to understand and explain a lot about what the internet was, why it had value. A lot of people would kind of question like what's the use and what are we going to do with that? It was hard to use. Anyone that, you know, downloaded, you know, Mosaic or Netscape back in the day and tried to configure a PPP and a slip dial up and heard that Crazy, screechy modem noise, you know, has been through it, and that's kind of where we're at. It was, you know, a couple of years later when kind of the mainstream came in. Now, certainly the the, the mainstream media, you know, and the coverage and some of the institutional level investment and in, I, you know, that we've seen in the last twelve to eighteen months is great for the industry. You know, I think when when I got into this in you know twenty seventeen. The the big question always was, what's the risk of this going away? What's the risk of it going to zero, being deregulated? You know, this just being a, an industry that, you know, nobody wants to see go forward. And I thought it was I thought it was real. I mean, that was something that I really need to get my head around. I think in the last four years, that's been just almost completely de-risked, just due to the network effects and the momentum. And you know, carrying that forward, so it's gonna be really fun to see the next, you know, three to five years. Like like anything, there's gonna be some some big winners, and there's gonna be some heartache. You know, the Darwinism also plays out in these types of markets, but I think that that's a good thing long term because the, the the strong will survive. They'll create some great uh, products and and help society along the way.
0: Do you think that we'll end up with a world in which? blockchain is something that is buried deep in the technology and doesn't really impact people in their daily lives? Or are we going to find, yes, I'll, I'll buy my cup of coffee with BSV or something? It could go either way, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, technology is at its best when you don't think about it. Um, and I always preach this to my, my IT management and my groups. I said, guys, people only think about you when there's a problem and there's an issue. And I think that's, that's also clear with any kind of technology, whether that be your, your mobile phone, <laughs> whether that be you know, your desktop, even you know, things like Zoom, like when they're working and they become, become ubiquitous, a part of your, your daily life. I think that's 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 when it's really won and it, it's really doing its job. I think, you know, thinking about, you know, blockchain and, 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 and those pieces, I think it's going to be embedded deep. And I don't think most people are going to understand it. What they're going to know is they're going to have an immutable ledger. Right. They're going to know that these these records are, are correct, that the, the transactions are auditable, that like, you know, things just simply work. But like the actual complexities behind the scenes of how this happens. I don't think that should be a part of the the public dynamic, and frankly, I don't think they care. I think what they care about is the the benefits and what you know, blockchain and, and and what these technologies bring them. Maybe it's ownership of data, like they can opt in, they can opt out, and they can you know they can control and move that. But like the underlying pinnings or the the underpinnings of how that actually comes together, I think that will be buried, and I think that's a good thing.
0: Great, it's it's great that you've spent three days in New York um, at the conference, listening to everything that's going on. What will come out of it from your point of view? Will it change your ideas about how your company is going to develop at all, do you think?
1: Um, I mean, I, I just, it, what's been great to see in New York is again, just the level of excitement uh, around just other ecosystems. You know, again, we have customers that are doing all different types of proofs of, of work consensus algorithms. So, you know, the the primary, you know, BTC, you know, SV, we obviously, Litecoin, Ethereum. And, you know, so we're at all these conferences, at all these shows. And I I just say the, the best thing is just the continuous innovation and the pushes. And some of these problems, people are tackling them very differently. And that's going to be fun to see and play out. I use like Ethereum, for example, you know, some of the things that they're doing on the migration to, to proof of stake. And I think there's going to be some challenges along the way, but I think there's going to be a lot of learnings. Um, and so, our, our course, I don't see changing. I mean, again, we're really seeing this infrastructure, low cost, high scale, computationally intensive playing out. I think the, you know, the renewable angle has been really core to our DNA since day one, just with, you know, my business partner and his background in that space. Like that's kind of where we, where we came from. Um, but it's, it's fun to see the, you know, the trajectory continue, continue on. And the the narrative to play out a little bit uh, as we had, had expected. But again, like anyone that's done it, it does. It's not a, a straight point from A to B. There's a lot of, a lot of wiggles and squiggles and, and backgrounds in route. So.
0: Well finally when you get home and uh, your your friends or your colleagues say well you've just been to this BSV event with all those BSV types what's different about them how would you characterize the the atmosphere and the the people you've met here as different in any way from from the other crowds <laughs>
1: I would just say say very thoughtful. I mean, that's the thing that that that's really um, I've seen is is strategically thinking about the future, about the differentiators, about how does it apply to the, the the rest of the ecosystems. And not emotional about it. <laughs> Sometimes you get know, in these things and they can be, you know, a little bit almost cultish where it, in, in the fact where it's just like we're, we're better just because we are. My dialogues have been, you know, that what I've seen is just very well thought out, very articulate in terms of the, the arguments and the reason why. And I think there's some, some really great points. And I, again, I, I think it's good to have multiple. You know, areas for innovation. And I, I don't think it's a it's a winner take all across here at all. I think there's going to be a lot of technologies that are going to play out. And I think there'll be different use cases. And I think we'll continue to see that, you know, um, in, the, in the coming years. Well,
0: that's brilliant, Dave. Thank you so much. And uh, really good luck with Compute North in the future. And I uh, hope there's a lot of BSV business coming in your direction.
1: <laughs> we hope so as well. Charles, thanks for having us. Or thanks for having me. We appreciate it. Yep. Bye. Thank you very much indeed. Bye now.
0: Thanks very much to Dave Perrell of Compute North. Well, next week we're talking NFTs. My guest is Victor Tang from Niftyco, which aims, he says, to democratize NFTs. That means making it easy for everyone to create and trade them, even without any knowledge or connection with the world of crypto. So please join Victor and me next week. Until then, thanks very much for listening and goodbye.